Hello, I'm Jonathan Charles and this is Pocket Dilemmas, where Kerry Law and I tackle political and economic questions facing the world today. Bill Gates recently tweeted a graph that sparked a debate amongst economists across the globe. Are we winning in the battle against poverty? Well, that graph doing the rounds across social media seemed to suggest so. But is it true? What is the future of poverty? That's our dilemma today. What are pocket dilemmas? Are algorithms biased? Will robots take away your job? Do you trust cryptocurrencies? How do we bridge the pay gap? What is the future of poverty? This is dilemmas at ebrd.com. This is where you can really see the tragedy of Yemen. There's ward after ward here of severely malnourished children. In Syrien have we felt very clearly that the Americans, the vacuum that they have left, Now to a dire warning about climate change. Cars and homes were washed away. If we don't take action, the collapse of our civilizations and the extinction of much of the natural world is on the horizon. And that last voice you heard there was David Attenborough at the UN Climate Summit in Poland last year with a dire warning that he delivered on climate change and the impact that has on poverty, on economics. Orla Guerin, of course, I used to work with at the BBC as a foreign correspondent. She was talking about the terrible events in Yemen, which are still ongoing. All of those factors and many others inevitably send people into poverty. Wars lead to famines, refugees, climate change is linked to the scarcity of resources and conflicts, changing income, seems to be a never-ending cycle. So can we really say that the global poverty is declining? Is it really, or is the nature of poverty changing? What is the future of poverty? That's the dilemma that we're talking about today. Obviously, there are a lot of factors that are really fueling the rise of poverty. But I guess let's first define really what poverty is. So the World Bank defines poverty as $1.90 or less per person. Which is staggering, isn't it? Uh, to suggest that maybe over $1.90 you're not in poverty or extreme poverty. I'm pretty sure that two liters of milk at Tesco's cost more than $1.90. So um, just to come back to the chart that Bill Gates tweeted, you know, Bill Gates literally caused a firestorm when he tweeted this. So the chart was produced by Our World in Data, which is a Gates Foundation-funded nonprofit led by the economist Max Rosser. And it highlighted the long-term trends in humans living, or it, and it highlighted the long-term trends in humans living in poverty. So the chart depicts the extreme poverty rate measured by the share of humanity living in poverty. So $1.90 or less per day. And in 1820, over 94% of people lived in extreme poverty, and that really decreased to, in 2015, only 9.6% of people lived in extreme poverty. But really, has global poverty actually declined? And Bill Gates' tweet, which again set off this firestorm, said, and I quote, this is one of my favorite infographics. A lot of people underestimate just how much life has improved over the last two centuries. And then it shows this chart with this staggering you know, decrease of poverty. So there's a great debate on this um, and, you know, a lot of issues that we shall look into on Vox.com. So I encourage everyone to go check it out. But Jonathan, as you mentioned, $1.90 is staggering. Um, so two questions for you. Do you think this rate is just way too low? And also, since you've traveled all over, you know, you've been in all these conflict zones and you traveled for a long period of time. Are you seeing it get better like this, like this graph actually suggests? I think, you know, when I, when I travel around, uh, you know, including us here at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development in my current job, you can definitely tell that there have been major changes. 
but the issue, I suppose, is, is it as great as that chart seems to be saying, uh, as Bill Gates seems to be suggesting? And I think, to my mind, that's the real question. Uh, and, and is the nature of poverty different as well now? Because I think we see in many countries, uh, you know, people feel they're in poverty, even if they're above that $1.90 level. And that's what we'll talk about with our guest today. Let me remind you, you're listening to Pocket Dilemmas, the podcast which explores the political and economic problems shaping our world. You can review us on iTunes. Email us, of course, at dilemmas at ebrd.com. Follow us on Twitter, and our handle is at ebrd. Well, Kerry, we've got two guests here in the studio, the EBRD's chief economist, Sergei Guriev, and the UK Department for International Development chief economist, Rachel Glenister. Uh, thank you both for, for turning up and uh, discussing us, uh, discussing this with us. Let, let's start perhaps with a headline on the, on the issue. Uh, Rachel, let me start with you. Give us your headline view on, on this graph and the question of whether poverty reduction has been so extreme. Well, great to be here and to be talking about this really important issue. Um, the short answer is yes. I think this chart is an extremely important and effective way of communicating something which people aren't so aware of, which is the number of people in extreme poverty um, has fallen dramatically. And that is something that we should celebrate. Um, it's And it's not just income poverty. I mean, you, this chart is about one9 uh, dollars a day, but it's also true if we look at a wider concept of poverty, health is improving, education is improving, life expectancy is improving. A lot of different aspects of people's lives has really radically improved um, over you know, the last centuries, but also just in the last 10 and 20 years. Sergey. Yes, I, I fully agree. And while you look at this chart for 200 years, of course, you start asking questions to what extent the concept of $1.9 a day today is comparable to something like this 200 years ago. But what is true is the measurement is pretty consistent over the last 30 or 40 years. And that decline is very impressive. Since we started to look at those numbers 30 years ago, 40 years ago, the decline has been dramatic. We were talking about 40, 45, 50% of global population living uh, in extreme poverty 40 years ago. Now we are talking about 9% or even less. And indeed, as Rachel said, other aspects of quality of life have also improved. One thing which you've just mentioned uh, refers to inequality. I think there is a lot of debate about recent rise in inequality. But if we think about uh, inequality increase, say, in the United States, we should not think that inequality increased globally. If you take the whole world as one country, one society, global inequality has actually come down and come down significantly. In that sense, the progress in the world is, uh, is uh, there and the, the inequality is actually declining because the poorest countries are catching up on average. This is Pocket Dilemmas the podcast which explores the political and economic problems shaping our world. Review us on iTunes, email us at dilemmas at ebrd.com, follow us on Twitter at ebrd. So let me remind you of today's dilemma, poverty, is it in decline? What will the future of poverty look like? So Sergey, you know, inequality is not just a single idea and it can be seen differently by different people. So talk us through some of these interpretations of the methodologies that you just mentioned and kind of the link between uh, inequality and poverty. I think people usually use inequality and poverty interchangeably, but these are very different things. You can have a very equal society where everybody's poor 
in absolute terms, living at, at, one, uh, at less than $1.9 per day. You can have a society where everybody is not poor, and yet the society is very unequal. So these things are actually not, uh, not uh, perfectly related. The other thing that people forget is inequality does change, but it does change very slowly. And so if you have economic growth, usually economic growth does lift all boats. And in this sense, in this sense, when we see whether very equal or very unequal society, if you have fast economic growth, you see major progress uh, in terms of improving, improving situation with poverty. And this is what we've seen in the last 20 or 30 years. The most important achievements in fighting poverty have uh, happened in India and China, where hundreds of millions of people were lifted out of poverty, even though in China inequality, for example, has gone up. Just, just to pick up on that, it would be worth hearing from you on this as well, Rachel. Economic growth is the, is the boat uh, lifted you know, by that uh, rising sea of economic growth, and, and that's had the major impact on poverty. Is that synonymous with free trade, for example, the improved globalization of the world? Both of you, I think, would be uh, So, here. So there's free trade and there's opening up economies to to integrating into the world economy and that's those aren't completely the same things um but i think opening uh in china and india these are both economies um which were had very distorted markets were very insular and as we've heard, a lot of poverty reduction happened in those countries. And moving to more sensible economic policies, I think most people would agree, had a big impact on improving their economic uh, prospects. I mean, there are other things that happen and are important too, particularly when you take into account not just uh, income poverty, but things like health and education. Technological change has been extremely important in improving health. Uh, so we are much healthier for a given level of income now than we were, you know, when, say, the UK or the US were at that level of, of income. Um, so so technological change and improved economic policies have been both really important in improving people's lives. Yes, I fully, I fully agree with that. And you mentioned uh, our world's, uh, world in data, which is a very important source of... Uh, uh, of uh, visualized uh, data that uh, brings this positive message, not just about income poverty, but also about other dimensions of quality of life that Rachel mentioned. I would say that before Max Roser, there was this website, Gapminder, that opened the eyes of the people around the world how, how much progress we've made in the last 200 years, but also in the last 30 or 40 years. Unfortunately, Hans Rosling, uh, who started that website, passed away, but before passing away, he actually wrote a book called Factfulness, that talks about those issues. And after that, I would also recommend uh, Steven Pinker's book, first about violence, the better angels of our nature, and then, and then enlightenment now, where he talks about different aspects of quality of life, which is improving, including because of globalization, because of uh, technological change and better, better economic policies. So Rachel, so what do you see in, obviously where you guys focus in DFID is different than our regions. Um, are you seeing that poverty is actually declining in the regions where you operate? Yeah, so uh, in DFID we focus uh, primarily on the poorest countries um, in the world uh, and, and we see some really important different trends in different parts of the world. So the biggest declines in poverty have been in Asia. Uh, you've mentioned 
China and India already, and those are really large, so lots of the fall comes from them just because they're large, but also dramatic declines in many other parts of Asia. So Pakistan, I was visited recently and looking at the numbers for very dramatic uh, declines in poverty there. Uh, Bangladesh, Vietnam, across Asia, really, um, a lot of progress. In sub-Saharan Africa, where we also do a lot of work, um, the the overall numbers of people in extreme poverty have not declined much in sub-Saharan Africa. But that hides some really important differences between the stable parts of sub-Saharan Africa, where you're seeing uh, you're seeing quite a lot of progress on reducing extreme poverty and the parts of sub-Saharan Africa that are fragile and in conflict. And in general in the world, we're seeing a real stubbornness um, of poverty levels where there's conflict and fragility and bad governance. Yeah, so there's this um, there's this NGO called IRON, and they have this kind of index and this list of some of these trending events that are you know exacerbating or causing poverty. And they list climate change, things like conflicts, like the war in Syria. You just mentioned conflict um, and refugee movements as kind of the events that are going to be shaping the humanitarian crises and poverty going forward. Do you agree that these are the the main trends that we're going to be dealing with when we look at poverty? So I think conflict and fragility. Fragility is a bit wider concept than conflict. So countries where there's maybe not outright war, but a lot of tensions and inability for the state to really run the country well. Um, And climate change, I agree, is going to hit the poorest countries worse. Um, I would add to that uh, demography. I think that's a really important driver of poverty. One of the reasons that you see no progress in overall numbers in sub-Saharan Africa is the countries that are doing well are having less growth in population, and the countries that are doing really badly are seeing dramatic increases in the number of pop, uh, number of people. And that's driving that overall trend. So demography in many different routes has very important impacts on poverty. I mean, just for just one fact. People argue that in East Asia, a quarter of the East Asian miracle was simply due to changes in demography. So that's an interesting, very interesting point then, Rachel. Do you think we're focusing on the right things now in terms of future poverty reduction? We've obviously got the sustainable development goals, um, but you know, the question is how they interact with this demographic issue. And I'm, I'm thinking of countries like Egypt, for example, where the labor force is growing by a million a year or the population is growing by one or two million a year. You know, How do you deal with that and how does that fit in with where we're currently focused as the international community? So certainly within DFID, we're taking a very close look at demographic dividends, the demographic change and what's needed to help countries get the benefits of the demographic dividend. And I think other organizations are too. In some ways, it's not a mystery. Like one of the things that drives demographic change is improving health. Like you get infant mortality down, you get girls' education up, and you get demographic change. Um, so, So those are things that the international community has been working on for a long time. I think there's a better realization of how they all fit together and that there's an economic story which can help countries, you know, help encourage countries to make those investments when they see that there's a very tangible economic benefit to working on those enablers of demographic transition that then enables 
uh, the economic benefits to come through in the Just reduction. Just very quickly, though, to, to both of you. I mean, it can sometimes seem, though, when you're trying to tackle the demography question, that you're you're running to stand still. So you are making these improvements uh, in, in people's uh, living standards. But it's a, a race, actually, because you're being outpaced by, by demography and how you can never actually catch up. Uh, well, except that we have in some countries. So, again, don't don't get too depressed by the problems that we face and look at the fact that we have made a lot of progress um, in a lot of countries. I mean, DFID is starting to to change the way we work in a lot of countries because they have transitioned into middle-income status and they are able to fund their own poverty relief. That's a huge celebration um, and huge success. So, yes, there are important challenges. Um, yes, we have to think about uh, demography and conflict in particular, but um, we do know how to uh, how to do this and we shouldn't lose sight of it. Yes, and uh, we at the BRD, of course, understand that challenge very well as well. We have countries where demographic transition has not happened yet, where indeed fertility is still high and investment in human capital is relatively low. And indeed to change that, we need to uh, promote uh, female empowerment, girls' education, healthcare, and that happens. That happens. We see fertility going down and human capital investment improving. Once you have human capital investment and increased female labor force participation, you do have the demographic transition and you do create opportunities to, for younger generation to be more productive. And that is, that is where growth starts and poverty is eradicated. And again, I uh, fully agree with Rachel that the main challenge now in terms of Agenda 2030, in terms of SDG 1, as we talk in our IFI language, which is Sustainable Development Goal 1, poverty, uh, this is uh, the battleground for SDG 1 is indeed Africa. In other parts of the world, we still have pockets, we still have problems, but the main battleground will be Sub-Saharan Africa. So, you, you know, everyone's really mentioned demographics and demography. And at the bank, we've been doing this, this big effort called the Megatrend Series and just researching megatrends. And, you know, there are five global forces that are really shaping our world and that are going to, you know, affect the world's poor in a disproportionate way. So the five megatrends being demographics, as we've already mentioned, urbanization, resource scarcity, digitalization, and global economic shifts. So, you know, we're digging into these so that we can really understand not only kind of what they are and how they affect our countries of operation, but how we can be ready for and skill up for some of these trends. Um, otherwise, we really, you know, risk ending up in poor, maybe even less happy societies. And Sergey, I know you've done a lot of work on inequality and happiness, um, and it's really not that straightforward. So how can we be happier and what do we do to what do we need to do to really prepare? Well, people are unhappy about things you think they are unhappy about. So indeed, uh, people like to be richer. People like to have more stable, cohesive society. People like to have access to education and health care. Uh, there is an age profile of happiness. Uh, Middle-aged people are the least happy of all. And then happiness after, say, 50 in developed countries starts increasing. Very heavily, so actually, which whenever, is great news. Yes, <laughs> for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm always happy. <Exactly. laughs> but overall, for 
all other things equal, income increases happiness, especially when income is low. And in that sense, we should, uh, we should remember that when we talk about eradicating poverty, that it's not just an abstract number of a bank account or, or uh, macroeconomic statistics. It's actually raising people's life satisfaction. And of course, it's not just a unidimensional thing. We need to think about health, education, inequality, which also makes people unhappy. Uh, quality of air and other public goods, uh, they also make people uh, more or less happy. But incomes and development in general is something that drives happiness and life satisfaction. Just just on, a, on another tack, I mean, I'm, I'm interested really, you know, we've talked a little bit about global economic growth and the importance of that. We are in a world where we might be entering anyway, a world of slightly slower economic growth overall, particularly if there's a rowing back on globalization. How do you both think that's going to impact on, on poverty reduction going forward? I mean, the, the, the slower the economic growth, um, the, the, you know, the less progress we're going to make on poverty, certainly. And in particular for uh, many of the countries that we work in, in um, there's a strong dependence on primary commodities as a as a driver of you know income for the country. So when the industrial world slows down and China slows down, then the prices of their uh, commodities falls, and there's a kind of very um, immediate effect on the income that they have as a government to. Uh, to fund the investment that they need to grow. So there's a very um, important link between uh, these, you know, the poorest countries and how fast the, the world is, is growing. So we have to take that into account. I mean, one of the things that we also have to try and work with these countries to help them with is making their economies less vulnerable to that kind of shock. Um, Resilience is really important, um, and as countries grow and it, as countries are uh, reaching that middle-income status, they also it's about helping them devise social safety nets so that they have uh, their own mechanisms to be resilient internally to these kinds of shocks. So it's about making the um, economy more diverse and more reliant on a number of sources of, of income but also having the right social safety nets and uh, to support when things do go wrong. So uh, one interesting thing, though, I think is, is important to note is over the last 20 plus years, we are seeing the poorest countries actually grow faster than richer countries. This is something that economists had predicted, you know, in our theories for a long time. And people had said, oh, it's not, you know, it's an example of where economists have got it wrong. And finally, it's turning out to be the case. So as the richer countries have slowed down, um, you are now seeing that poorer countries are growing faster than the richer, which in some ways is, um, you know, is maybe one upside of this story. Yes, uh, I, I, of course, agree with this. I think one thing is worth mentioning. When we talk about fighting poverty, sometimes we think in terms of aid. But indeed, what is most important in terms of creating jobs, raising incomes in the poor countries is not aid, but trade. And what Rachel said is extremely important. Global economic growth helps poorer countries to become richer, or at least middle-income countries, exactly because now in the age of globalization, trade, access to global markets, this is what drives income up, uh, not the aid coming, coming from rich countries, which is still, of course, important. And aid 
does help to create resilience, does help to create social safety nets, does uh, serve as a catalyzer of building education systems, healthcare systems, public goods. But overall, it is the private sector, the uh, globalization per se, the investment in, uh, in productive capacity. This is what will drive uh, job creation and income growth. Uh, will the shape of the future of poverty be formed more kind of by these economic figures we're talking about, like economic growth? Are there other factors to watch? So I guess, Rachel, what are your other factors to really watch? Yeah, so conflict is, is a huge one. Um, in some ways, we're seeing that a lot of the reduction in extreme poverty that we've seen, um, we're in the next 20 years or so, if the trends continue, we will made, have made a lot of progress in, the, in stable countries. So bringing that economic growth, getting the poverty down in, the, in those countries through economic growth. And then we will be left with the countries that are unstable and in conflict. And there it's not so much about economic growth. It's you've got to fix the conflict. I mean, partly you've got to fix the conflict because without that, you can't have economic growth. But you're seeing this really important dynamic, which is where it's possible to bring the poverty reduction by just better economic policies and integration with the international community. You're, you've, we've kind of got a lot of those gains already. So it's going to get harder to make those shifts in what's in the extreme poverty that's left because a lot of that, we predict by 2030, 80% of the extreme poor will be in countries um, that are currently fragile or conflict affected. And so the politics and the conflict is going to be a much bigger driver in the future because we've made so much success through the economic route. Wow. So it sounds like the difficult part is uh, ahead. Um, Sergey, what are your three factors to kind of watch? Well, everything is driven by economics, at least uh, as an economist. I knew I you were going to so. say that. I knew you were going to say uh, that. But uh, if you if you think about non-economics, non-economic variables to watch, of course, climate change is one of those. If you look at the, w our world in data graphs, they give you an optimistic message. If you look at the factfulness or gapminder graphs, same. But there are a couple of variables which are not doing that well. The progress in democracy has kind of stalled in recent uh, decade or so. And of course, climate change trends are not, are not reassuring as well. And we know that it is democracy that helps to build good political institutions, which underpin economic development. And of course, climate change, as we already have mentioned today, is a very important factor of poverty today and in the coming years. Well, I think we uh, should say a big thank you to Rachel and to Sergey for that uh, interesting evidence uh, as to the where we're going on poverty reduction. Kerry, I mean, where do you think we've ended up as a result of all this? What do you take out of it? Okay. So, it, Jonathan, it's really nice to hear that the absolute numbers in poverty are actually decreasing, um, you know, because Sergey keeps mentioning this this test or this website called Gapminder. And when you take this test, you know, people overwhelmingly respond quite negatively. You know, everyone thinks that there are so many more people in extreme poverty or people have less vaccinations than actually is true. So, you know, 
I, like Rachel said, am also an optimist, and I, I like to think that we will we'll figure it out. Um, it's nice to know that the efforts that we've been doing are helping, but we can't forget that there's a long way to go. Also, you know, it seems like the policies and the ideas are there, but just the biggest challenge is the political will and probably the state capabilities to really implement and enforce some of these policies to overcome some of these challenges. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's interesting. I've come away from this discussion actually thinking that obviously Bill Gates is broadly right. Uh, you know, he's definitely in the right direction. Uh, but as ever, when you make a broad argument, there are some of the subtleties that are not captured. Uh, and, and some of those issues as well will be harder to deal with uh, because they are remaining issues. Uh, and when you get to a certain percentage of remaining issues, they're always harder to deal with than the, the easy low-hanging fruit. Uh, and I think, you know, the question is as well how future global trade, uh, future economic growth plays into all that together with these other factors which are becoming more dominant, like climate change. Uh, how they also play into all of this. So, that, that you know, it's going to be still a tough battle going forward. Uh, and that's, you know, so I come away with, with, okay, he probably didn't deserve to be attacked, Bill Gates, but the problems are immense, you know, and will continue to be immense and, and uh, may get harder in many areas, actually, as a result of natural change and climate change and the other issues that we have. So it was very interesting. I'd love to know actually what people listening think. Uh, let me remind you, you can of course contact us. Dilemmas at ebrd.com is where you'll find us. The program is called Pocket Dilemmas. It is the podcast which explores the political and economic problems which are shaping our world. You can review us on iTunes. We'd love that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. The handle is at ebrd. But from Kerry, from me, for the moment, goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the EBRD. We'll be back soon with a new episode. In the meantime, send us your feedback, suggestions and ideas on dilemmas at ebrd.com. And remember, reviewing and rating us helps others to find us. Until next time. <laughs>